A-B-A Resort. West Canyon High Welcome to today's episode of ABA Wizard. We have Dr. Joshua Jessel on with us today to discuss his article titled Transitioning from Rich to Lean Reinforcement as a Form of Error Correction. So we're going to be talking about a unique type of error correction I wasn't familiar with before uh, going over this article. Um, But before we get more into that, uh, let me introduce our guest a little bit more. Uh, Dr. Joshua Jessel completed his master's degree at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. During his time in Baltimore, Dr. Jessel also worked with children with severe problem behavior on the neurobehavioral inpatient unit of the Kennedy Krieger Institute. He went on to earn his doctoral degree under the mentorship of Dr. Gregory Hanley at Western New England University, with his primary research focusing on the assessment and treatment of problem behavior exhibited by children with autism. Dr. Jessel continued to extend this line of research as a postdoctoral fellow at a clinic in Fort Worth, Texas, where he oversaw nearly 100 children with autism admitted to an outpatient program. And Dr. Jessel has currently published over two dozen articles in multiple peer-reviewed journals, including the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, uh, where he's actually currently serving on the editorial board. So... Uh, right now, he is working as an assistant professor at Queens College in New York City. So, Dr. Jessel, it's a pleasure to have you here with me. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, and, you know, you're doing a ton of research. Uh, you've been published over two dozen times. Uh, like, it almost seems like every couple of months you have a new article coming out. Um, so, yeah. what are your current areas of interest? What are your areas of expertise? What are you working on right now? Uh, we have a few various lines, so I'm keeping up with the functional analysis research, just trying to make things safer, trying to make things faster so we can move on to the more important aspects, which are treatment and helping the families that we serve. Uh, so I'm always trying to get the assessment to be better. <laughs> I also work with typically developing infants, so we do a lot of tummy time research. Oh, really? Uh, where we're just, yeah, yeah. We're trying to... Uh, look at how to improve tummy time because when a child is crying, uh, you know, parents tend to avoid those situations. It makes sense from our perspective, but from the second they're born, they're supposed to go into tummy time to build up strength in their neck and to reduce the probability of the children having bumps and, you know, have to wear that helmet to re-round their head back out. So, yeah. uh, so they need tummy time and it's hard for parents to do it every day. Um, so we're working on some of that research. So and you're focusing we, on oh, like changing the parents' behavior to ha- to do more tummy time. Is that kind of well? Your area? We're we're looking at um, preferred items during this time. How parents can uh, reduce any negative vocalizations um, and just make the situation preferred for both them and the children. Ah, fascinating. That's really cool. You you've done a lot of cool research, and and one of those is this article. The article today that we're discussing focuses on error correction and discrete trial instruction. Uh, so, what was your uh, like research question for this study? What is this study all about? Yeah, I designed the study specifically uh, with those children in mind who have difficulty with disappointing cues, like telling them they made a mistake 
or they didn't get the answer correct. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure all of us have worked with a client before where you're, you're dreading telling them that they're wrong during discrete child training because you know what's going to happen next. There's going to be a <laughs> tantrum. You're going to get angry. Oh, um, yeah. So I was thinking about them. And, and I truly understand their feelings of frustration when they're in those times of learning, right, where they're making lots of continuous errors and they hear the word no so many times. Um, and what that is to them is it's a life of, you know, devoid of reinforcement. If you're telling them no, they're not getting anything and they just have to be corrected over and over again. Yes. Um, so in this study, we were looking at uh, pairing those disappointing cues, not with uh, completely removing reinforcement or people even use punishment procedures where there's response costs, right? If, if you get something wrong, you remove something or a token. Um, so instead, what we're doing is if we say no, what we're doing is changing the environment to earning less reinforcement. So now there's a contrast between earning more and earning less uh, based on their mistakes without creating an overall aversive or unpreferred environment for them. Okay. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. And I think you titled this uh, Rich to Lean, right? Rich to Lean Reinforcement. Is that kind of the, the procedure, what, what it's called that you were looking at? Yeah, so it comes from that basic principle of transitioning from rich to lean. Uh, and it started off with pigeons where they saw that they would pause during that time. So they had a signal that uh, was paired with them earning rich, and then the signal changed to now they're earning uh, lean reinforcement. Um, and the pigeons would pause and not press on uh, the key even though doing so would earn them as much reinforcement as possible. So they can maximize if they kept going, but instead what they did was turn away from it uh, and pause. So what that gave us the idea for was maybe we can incorporate that transition as an error correction. So interesting. Uh, and, and I want to get a better idea of what this looks like. Walk me through like what would, if you were doing this procedure with a client, like what would that procedure actually look like? Sure. We had a, a display ed, and um, I'm not sure if that's a common term through the editorial process. People were asking us, like, what is a display ed? Could you please describe it? <laughs> and it's, it's just a plastic. Uh, you see them at, like, department stores, right, where they have, like, an advertisement in it or something. Um, so we would just put this plastic uh, translucent piece in front of them that displays what they're earning. Like a picture of the we, item that they're earning then? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So so they have their favorite thing in there based on the preference assessment, um, their high preferred or more preferred item, and they see that they're earning that item. And on the back side, what they don't see is the item of the less preferred, something they still like, but it's not as good. It's not as high up there in the hierarchy. Um, so when they make a mistake, we turn it around and we say, okay, well, now it's time to earn um, these less preferred items. Wow, uh, And it, it goes for a certain number of trials. I believe we did two trials in this study. And after those two trials, it goes back to them earning the um, more preferred items. So it only made that transition to earning less preferred items if they made a mistake. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it goes on the less preferred. It's still preferred, but the less preferred item uh, for two trials, is that regardless of whether they get the next two answers correct or wrong? Yeah, it's uh, completely non-contingent on any of their behaviors. So after two trials, it goes right back. Right back to the most preferred. Okay, yeah, mm -hmm. no, that makes sense. Um, and so how did you identify what was their most preferred and what was their least preferred? 
we did a well three MSWOs in a row just to get a little reliability at first with a full array of items. I think it was six or seven items. And then every day um, we would still do an MSWO from the original ones. We took the highest, the middle, and the lowest, and we used those three just to make sure that they stayed in that order. Uh, so every session we would go in and we'd start with the MSWO, make sure everything that's most preferred is still most preferred, everything uh, that's least preferred is still least preferred. So were you using like the number one and the number six, or were you using the number one and the number three? Yeah, good question. We were using the last one, but it still had to be consumed and uh, chosen. Okay. So if we ever did a preference assessment and they did not want to eat that last item or play with that last item, uh, we would not use it because that means that it's not preferred at all, or it could even be, you know, um, aversive. Got it. And and during this study, what was what was the target behavior? What were you uh, teaching the individuals? We had different sets of discrete trial um, items. So someone was one of the students that we was learning tax. Uh, we would have picture cards, and they would have to um, label them, and then. We had introverbals, so that was fun trying to figure out introverbals for like a child telling him how to go to a bank and um, <laughs> you put money in a, a, you know, an ATM or something. Uh, and then another participant was words, so they have to be able to tact one and two words. Okay. Or yeah. read. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so like just talking more about the procedural aspect of, of this study, um, you're trying to see if this is like an effective uh, method of error correction. So how did you do that? Were you comparing it to another type of error correction or what were you doing to kind of uh, measure the effectiveness of this procedure? Yeah, we were comparing it to the, we call it the traditional method where, you know, it's one where you think of where they make a mistake, you tell them no, uh, and then you prompt them through the correct answer before moving on to the next trial. Uh, and we compared that in a multi-element comparison, and we're hoping that both would be effective. So we're just looking at what's more efficient and what's more preferred. That was kind of our main objective. Um, so our efficiency was based on how many trials did it take to reach mastery, and then preference was based on uh, we conducted concurrent chains analyses with both the participants and the parents, so they both got to choose what um, they were experiencing that makes sense so you you're there's kind of two aspects of this you didn't just want to know like is this effective can you uh like is this an effective way to teach um an effective uh form of error correction but you also wanted to know is this accepted is this something that they would want to have um, and so just, uh, backing up a little bit with the, so you're comparing two different types or two different interventions, uh, using a, a multi-element design. So you have the single response repetition, uh, and then the, the rich to lean approach, uh, and the single response repetition, that's like more of the traditional method of if they get it wrong, you tell them it's incorrect. And then you prompt the correct response. Is that essentially what that looks like? Yep. And then with with the rich to lean, uh, were you still prompting a correct answer or were you just like, if they got it wrong, you would go and just, you know, turn that over and say, you're now earning this stimulus. 
Yeah, so we kept that pretty much the same, which is we told them no still. Uh, but then we turned it around, told them we're earning less, and then we prompted. Um, so the only difference really was that introduction of the change in what they're going to be earning. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, to compare the their preferences, how do you do that? How do you know like if they're going to choose the rich to lean schedule or the intervention or the single response repetition intervention? What What did that procedure look like? Yeah, so after they experienced all the conditions, we uh, paired it with cards. So the baseline had a certain color card with it. The uh, traditional had a certain color card. And then uh, the Rich Tallinn had a different color. And then afterwards, uh, we set them all up on a table and told them to choose one. Um, and whatever they picked, that was the, um, the condition they experienced. And we even had um, two controls, actually, to make sure that it wasn't the, the target task that they liked, um, oh, that they yeah. may have preferred. So we put two different sets of cards uh, that both were baseline. So in case they just wanted to play with the cards, um, that was an option, but they wouldn't earn anything. Um, and then the other options were those same cards, but then uh, in the two different test conditions. Beautiful. I, I love that. And they, uh, you were able to see you know, which intervention they they really preferred and you said you did this with the parents as well how did that work was it just a questionnaire or well we did have a social validity questionnaire but we also did the same thing where we placed the cards on the table and we i mean they watch every session so we we tend to try to have our research as transparent as possible so parents are there they're watching um and then afterwards we describe the conditions for them and we give them the option hey we're going to do it again with your child, um, what would you want them to experience? And they would pick whatever um, condition they preferred and we would then do that with their child. Um, So it was the same arrangement for both of them. What were the results here? Like you're looking at one, is it effective? And two, is it preferred? So what were the findings with those? Yeah, in terms of efficacy, both interventions worked, which is good news. We wanna know that the traditional approach what most people um, do, that's it's working. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, that'd be very strange if we came out and said what you know everyone's doing in discrete child training is wrong. <laughs> um, so, so it's nice to have that little validation. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in terms of efficiency, there were, the results were somewhat mixed, but we still saw uh, faster mastery in the Ristalin condition, and an overall preference for that condition as well for both um, clients and the parents. Wow. That's, that's pretty big. That's, uh, that's pretty meaningful that, uh, most people prefer this method. What was it about it? Like why, why would someone prefer this? Because the other yeah, one, they'd earn the same, the, their highly preferred stimulus the entire time, right? Yeah, they would. Um, but some research has shown that, uh, children will do better or prefer even situations with mixed reinforcement so I, oh, yeah. I think there's a study by Bowman um, back in the day that was just super interesting showing that uh, if you mix in from a preference assessment, like the second, third, and fourth chosen items and provide that variably in comparison to the high preferred item, um, some students will prefer the ones with the, where they get the mix, even though it's less preferred items altogether. Um, and we saw something like that as well. 
in a different study we did with transitions, uh, it was physical transitions for kids going from rich to lean where they would have to walk towards different conditions. And uh, we would signal the upcoming schedule all the way in the corner. And we would notice that when they go from rich to lean, they would meander a little bit more. They would, they would walk around. They wouldn't go directly beeline to the item like they would if you're going from lean to rich or from rich to rich or from lean to lean even. Oh, interesting. Um, so there's something about just including these uh, differences, this contrast between reinforcement that may make it a little bit more preferred. Yeah. There was one participant um, from my understanding that uh, was consistently more effective with the traditional method and also mm -hmm. preferred the traditional method. Uh, so what were your thoughts there about, you know, potential reasons for that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to say, but uh, the idea is between this rich to lean transition is that you could go too far with it. So our, our preference assessments right now, like the MSWO, they only give us a hierarchical difference between the reinforcers. So we just know that this one's first, this one's seventh. We don't know the difference between one and seven. Yeah. Um, so it's possible that you can go too much. And we know that it can become aversive if you go too far of a separation between them. Um, there's been studies with pigeons where they would actively click on a, a skate button to get rid of that signal um, to lean. So there's, there's a possibility of having that contrast so big um, that it may become aversive. So maybe uh, for that child, they weren't feeling it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and, and I know we're, we're totally speculating here, but I think it's beneficial yeah, completely. And, and helpful to do like to, to think about that. And, you know, I've, I, I think that's an excellent way of putting it that, uh, although like it was last place, that doesn't mean that like, we still don't know that it was a f acting as a reinforcer. We don't know how reinforcing that stimulus was. And it's possible that it was just, uh, too far down there that it wasn't sufficiently reinforcing. Yeah, and the opposite could be true, too, where it's too close to the high-preferred item. Oh, yeah. So it could possibly be that you're not seeing any difference between them. Um, so whether they make a mistake or not, <laughs> both of those items are just so preferred that it doesn't matter if they make a mistake. That is interesting. I didn't even think of that. That's I, I really find that interesting. Uh, so here's a question. Let's say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super excited uh, to try something similar to this. I'm excited that, that, uh, my clients might like this. They might prefer this. I want to give it a shot. Um, for those practicing behavior analysts, what recommendations do you have, uh, for wanting to, to attempt this intervention? Yeah, go out, go out and buy one of those, uh, displayettes. <laughs> <laughs> Find them on Amazon or something. I think we bought the, actually don't go to Amazon, buy them from, uh, <laughs> your local stores right now um but there's like at office stores they have them um and basically just do your mswo daily that you can right before you run sessions make sure you get a difference between high preferred less preferred items uh and i would say practice it first just with um someone else as as a uh, confederate just to get into the role of turning it over and being ready to turn it back um because it is a little bit more than just saying no. Now you have to 
pay attention to um, what they're earning at the time and make sure that they're not in lean too long. And and potentially starting out, if I may add something to, you know, make sure that they really do prefer this because I, I don't know what the percentage was, but there is still that chance that uh, your client doesn't necessarily prefer this intervention or it's not as efficient for that client. And so, uh, you know, maybe starting out and kind of, mimicking this study a little bit and, you know, probing which intervention the client would prefer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was the main point of this. It's not that we're telling everyone that this is the best thing that they now have to do with their client. We show them procedures of how to um, select the procedures based on the client's preferences. So if both are effective, both work fine, um, then let the client choose what they want to experience. Yeah, I, I like that. Yes. Uh, so what uh, further research is needed uh, following this study? Uh, is there enough research right now on rich to lean that we should feel confident in using this procedure or uh, what areas are we lacking research in? Yeah, the first thing is I'd want this to be um, um, our research going towards acceptability and use. So uh, it'd be great if someone could make this into a program or something, you know, where it changes for you on a laptop or a, a tablet and you don't need the display yet. And you oh. don't need to remember how to do it. It's automated. You can just type in what you need, right? Oh, um, yeah. So for any good programmers, that'd be great. Uh, but the other thing is what we were talking about earlier based on our lack of being able to tell the difference between rich and lean really uh, more finely. So the research could be creating assessments that are more sensitive to those differences that we can tell. It's not just one in seven anymore. It's this one's preferred by this much in comparison to the other item. Okay. And then we'd have to find that, that kind of Goldilocks zone, right? Where we're correcting, but not being aversive and it's not too reinforcing. So how would you do that? You'd have to um, tie it into a reinforcer assessment somehow to actually like quantify how preferred a stimulus is? Yeah. So, I mean, you'd want to look for um, some sort of other measures. Like when we had the kids meandering, we could see what was becoming uh, a transition actually from rich to lean. So other measures like that, if they're pausing, we can use that if, um, they're saying things so if they're verbal they can tell us like they're still having fun and being corrected but um other verbal clients may say you know this sucks i don't want to be here <laughs> so there's just so many different uh measures that we can try to attach to it in the assessment um in the preference assessment or reinforcer assessment before we then use those items in the actual treatment very cool now, you do have some other authors listed here that contri contributed to this study. You have uh, Sofia Ma, Joanna Spartanos, and Adriana Villanueva. So what role did they play in conducting this research? Yeah, they're all master's students at uh, Queens College in our ABA program. Oh, and awesome. they were the ones out there. They're on the front line actually working with the kids. Um, so, I mean, any of this research, you talk to any of the professors, we can't do it without our students so absolutely well great i'm glad that that you had them there to help you with that and 
Dr. Jessel, it's been great having you with us. Thank you so much for, for coming on and being willing to, to chat about this. It's been super valuable. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.